Welcome to Counter Stories, a show by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Hui Li, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at the Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. Unfortunately, Luz Maria Frias cannot join us today, but we do have a special guest and I'll have him introduce himself. Andy Rodriguez, Parks and Recreation Director for the City of St. Paul. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. So we invited Andy here today because he is a St. Paul boy um, who is now director <laughs> of the Dang, Parks and Rec Department, which is exciting, right? Um, Central in the building. Class of 2003, Central High School. Yep. Um, And there is, um, you know, there was a a conversation I was having online with some community folks about um, transforming some tennis courts into pickleball courts and and how um, it felt like it was gentrification. It felt like um, Mm. it was happening to places, you know, in the city that um, folks felt uh, folks of color felt um, didn't we didn't need the pickleball courts, or it, it felt very um, you know inappropriate to try to take over the tennis courts. Where you know I don't know if this particular place has urban tennis, but I did urban tennis mm-hmm. as a youth. Yeah, uh, my sisters all did urban tennis. They played tennis for their high school, uh, competed in, in high school. My son is is actually getting home from urban tennis camp awesome. right now <laughs> while we're recording, <laughs> drenched That's... in sweat from the heat outside. So I mean, just oh, yes. just just to uplift the the connections to the parks, you're hearing that in the background right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. And so you know, it was a conversation we were having online. So I thought you know we, we would invite Andy and and kind of get a grasp of really what your job entails and. And how you feel as as a hometown boy being in that position? Yeah, I'm actually, um, as of last week, it's been one year, which um, is just amazing to me in this position. And um, it's been a whirlwind, but um, I love this work. It's It's been the backbone of my life um, since I was a young kid. I was a rec center kid that grew up going to rec centers all across the city, uh, but really spending time at like the Oxford Jimmy Lee's, the Linwoods, the Highlands, just on this side of town. Um, but that's always been a backbone and resource for me from um, the staff that have worked there, the programs offered, uh, all those things kind of shaped who I am today. So it, to sit in this chair, it was never really a thought in my mind that this was even possible. So I, I always tell people, like, I remember the day that the mayor called me and offered me this job. Like, I had to pull over and just, like, take a minute and kind of breathe a little bit. and like, wow, this is really happening, you know. But to be able to be at the in the lead chair to help lead our park system forward is um, an amazing feeling. And it's, it's been an awesome time over the past year or so. But, um, you, you know, your open really kind of encompasses kind of what my role is. It's a balancing of priorities. It's listening to community. It's trying to meet the needs of everybody in the, the most effective way possible. And sometimes that results in, in challenging conversations about transitioning amenities or what a new, where the next rec center will go or, um, you know, what culturally relevant sports do we have across the city that we're lacking or, you know, we need to improve on, uh, things of that nature. And it, um, it is very dynamic work. You know, the, the community is not static. We all know that uh, means and, um, and whatnot evolve over time, demographics shift, um, all those things come into play. And it's just, it's really a, a constant balancing act for us to, to try and manage. But um, we use a lot of tools to guide that work. Like we do a lot of system planning and kind of looking at um, where we're heavy in certain areas or there might be park deserts or service gaps, um, things of that nature and um, what communities we aren't engaging effectively and how we can better build those relationships. So all those things come into play for my role, for my team. And whether you're working in a rec center or designing a new park or picking up trash, like there's an element to all of that in the work that we do. Like we are for a, a uh, population of 300,000 plus, we are a large park system. Um, we have 26 rec centers, 182 parks. We have a zoo uh, that is free. Not a lot of people, not a lot of cities have a zoo. Um, multiple golf courses, aquatic centers, all these things. But um, we're, we're lucky to have what we have in St. Paul in comparison to other cities. And that's uh, that's why we're the number two park nation uh, system in the country. Uh, I was going to say, 
<laughs> yeah, recently anointed uh, park system. So, you know, Minneapolis right behind us and Washington, D.C. in front of us. So that's good company. And, um, you know, St. Paul and Minneapolis uh, are the model for a lot of other cities across the country of, of what we do um, in the parks world. So. I want to. I want to. I mean, talk about the the flexibility of that too, because even though you have only been in the director seat for a year, you've been working high up in the parks department, even through the pandemic work. I remember um, when I uh, did a stint as kind of an interim lead for uh, a nonprofit organization called Arts Us that works out of the uh, Dunning Building. Um, we were able to partner with you. You brought together us, um, Santa Foundation, mm-hmm. and a few other folks, and you fed over a million people. You know, they gave out over a million meals during that that kind of instability time. And so you've you've kind of also been involved in kind of the the stopgap services that we had to figure out during the pandemic side too. So what has yeah. been I, I keep I keep running into you, um, not just because we're both yeah. graduates of the dopest high school in the in the state, but also <laughs> also um just at these intersections where we're doing things differently and meeting needs differently that that, um, you know, has garnered some complaint from folks who may have felt like the parks was always, always about them. And now we mm-hmm. see a whole lot more folks that look like us in in and around the park system, both leading it and engaging in it. So what what has you know, what has been the thing that you've been most excited about in terms of the new faces that are or, or at least the faces that are often overlooked actually being a part of parks? We've got more enrollments in, uh, I'm just looking, thinking about yeah. the, some recent reports. You've got more participation than we've had in a long time by, by communities of color in parks. Like, mm-hmm. like what are some of them spots you're like, yeah, we did that. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, you know, to lead off on the pandemic um, note, I think where our park system is so strong is we're so adaptable to changing dynamics needs. Um, I, could have never fathomed that all 26 rec centers would be closed for up to a year um, you know, during the pandemic. And how do we how do we shift our employees to meet community needs in different ways um, outside of what we're accustomed to? And that's how we hit that one million meal mark, right? Like we're going to shift that towards a priority and find innovative ways to for service delivery, um, non-traditional from what we're, we're usually used to. Um, so adaptability is a huge piece. But to the spirit of your question, I think from, you know, 2013, up until today, you know, there has been a really intentional shift for us to build a workforce that is representative of St. Paul, um, whether it's um, working within our rec centers, our administration, um, any facet. It's like, how do we get St. Paul residents, different folks uh, from different communities into our buildings and working for us um, to make sure that when anyone walks into a rec center or public facility, that they see someone that looks like them or someone that... Um, uh, they can identify with, um, then that's also tied back to relevant program offerings too, right? Like we know we can offer these sports camps and other things, which we know we're good at that, but like what else are we missing or what what sports aren't we doing, um, classes, other things. And that's really based on community feedback, um, but also meeting people where they are. Like we were very accustomed to just kind of hanging out in our rec centers and waiting for people to come to us or waiting in other park spaces, but it's like, where are, where are young people? Where are families? Where can we engage? Can we go to public housing spaces or other, other locations where people are and really gain feedback on programming, park design, all those things, or find out why they don't visit uh, park spaces and help build some of that comfortability. Like that's all been a initiative for the past decade plus. And I think we've done a lot of great work in different areas, whether you're designing a park and trying to engage community or, trying to get young people to participate in programs, like all of that um, is a contributor to the different ways and strategies that we've been trying to implement across the city. It's it's super exciting um, to have, um, you know, I hear it often from others like, wow, there's a Rodriguez at the top of the Parks and Rec Department. That's amazing. Like you finally <laughs> got one, like, like, like those types of things, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like people say that to me all the time and it's just, that's so um, heartwarming for me and, you know, I think our, our other staff hear that in different forms. Like we worked very hard to engage a Korean community across St. Paul and um, gain some Korean employees across our system and that they've helped with outreach and engagement. And that has um, helped tremendously for us in terms of seeing um, the users um, 
you know, from within the Korean community increase in our park spaces, whether it's just showing up and playing soccer on the turf field or participating in formal programs, like they feel that level of comfort now that um, some of those employees are in that space. So it's very intentional work that we do. And that included eliminating some some major fees. I know when things were getting tight for us, we were able to um, still participate in, for our kids, basketball is a huge thing. Um, and of course, the new boys volleyball that's been added on. So, I mean, I just, there's this, there's this continued, um, uh, there's this continued, uh, I don't know, push that, that seems to be coming out of the city. And in particular, Parks and Recs. I remember being at the uh, basketball games at Jimmy Lee and the place was packed more than I've seen it in a long time. Was that a direct result of eliminating those fees? So that uh, is that a major driver for the participation going up? Or is it just that folks have been so cooped up that they're trying to? Well, it was a little bit of both. Like we, like coming out of the pandemic, we saw the, like the registration was coming back, but it wasn't coming back at the level, pre-pandemic levels that we were accustomed to. And even pre-pandemic, we started with a trend of trying to eliminate fees for certain classes and kind of see how that affected uh, participation. But with American Rescue Plan money, we were fortunate enough to, um, you know, on behalf of the rec centers, the entire park system, get a $1.5 million investment. Um under the lens of public safety. So that allowed us to make youth athletics free for the next three years for anyone ages 10 and up. Um, And that uh, being a year in, (laughs) the mayor said it yesterday, it is pretty apparent that that has been successful and we are going to have to figure out a way to fund that beyond the three-year mark. So um, just in one year, we've seen participation for all sports skyrocket, uh, basketball, soccer, Volleyball, like you said, like we had the first first ever season of boys volleyball in the city, um, which is just amazing. Um, and then obviously baseball, softball in the summer months. So um, really seeing those participation numbers skyrocket. But now we're also looking at what sports aren't we offering that we can potentially bring back or introduce as new. Like I've heard a lot about track and field and, you know, tackle football has evolved, but we got that back at Oxford Jimmy Lee this year, starting in August. Um, so like trying to get those things up and running and seeing what new, new uh, athletic opportunities we can provide as well and kind of capitalize on that momentum. But that's been super successful um, and couldn't be happier with the outcome um, and the recognition that that program is getting right now. It's great. You know, this this conversation, I was sitting here thinking, well, how can I contribute to this conversation? But it it reminded me that I have my entire life been a consumer of the activities at Parks and Recs. I'm a Minneapolis boy, okay? I went to Minneapolis Central, that the other central, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, but as you know, as we're talking about this. Um, I learned how to ice skate, right? Learned how to ice skate in city parks, uh, took part in, uh, silver skates. And, you know, that was kind of a big thing in Minneapolis. I don't know if it was a big thing in Minneapolis or in St. Paul, but silver skates, you know, being able to race in various parks in Minneapolis, but I've been a consumer of parks and recs my entire life. And then when I moved to St. Paul, that activity continued, um, and as I was listening to Andy talk, you know, there um, a, a bunch of us from from McAllister College created a group called the Outcast, and we played uh, we played um, uh, touch football, flag football in the Park and Rec League. We we uh, played softball. Right? I remember many evenings at uh, Oxford Jimmy Lee uh, softball fields, right, and and tr- and 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 trying to jack one over the fence across the street. I mean, you know, depending on which field you were on and, and, and facing the, I mean, so, you know, just this discussion just reminds me of how often we are consumers of those activities and those things made available for us. And after a while, you don't even think about it, right? You, yeah. you just, you know, and there were, and there were certain areas that I would go to. So, you know, if I wanted to play tennis, I would head down to the Martin Luther King Center, and they had a great tennis court behind there. Uh, that's where I would see a lot of the brothers go to to go to, and and I knew I could go there to hook up and 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 get a tennis game, and and so 
you know, the Parks and Recs, I think, have played an important role, not only in my life, but my son. You know, uh, Anthony, you mentioned Dunning Field. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my son played baseball there. And nice. and um, and so, you know, it's Parks and Recs are, I think, so important and so important to us. And and then, Andy, you mentioned golf. And, I, you know, I, I play a lot of golf. I mean, I play a Right. I play a lot of golf and, you know, there's a annual annual um, tournament um, at Como Golf. That's that's uh, that's sponsored by different black organizations in St. Paul. And um, so I know, you know, Parks and Recs have been through a lot of changes. And I know one of the changes I think that monetarily the city, the city of St. Paul had to struggle with was the management of your of your golf courses. Yep. And there was a transition when that management switched from the city of St. Paul and you guys brought in a, a, a outside management company to operate those. And I know it took a while for many of us loyal golfers to get <laughs> used to that change yeah. because it was a that, big change. Boy, that you conversation know? was in all the barbershops, boy. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Man, I mean, that was huge. You know, it, it was a big thing because it, it radically changed how we set up tea times, who we had to deal with. I mean, oh, sure. It, 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 was, it was a huge thing. But, you know, those things those things happen. And, and I think Helene, you know, I noticed that I do notice, you know, I, I'm now in a, in a part of St. Paul or outside of St. Paul in Roseville. And the, one of the tennis courts, yeah, it was converted to pickleball, right? There's a lot of folks playing pickleball. Um, and so I know what the changing demographics and, and, you know, pickleball seems to have caught on. I personally have not attempted it. My knees won't allow me to do it. If my knees did, I'd be out there playing pickleball, right? Because it looks like it's something that as you age and get a little older, you can still handle, right? So I think, you know, the demographics of who's playing and all that is an, is an interesting uh, interesting thing that's happening. Um but I think that, you know, what what Hilly mentioned is that some in the some folks are are uh, questioning exactly where some of those locations are changing at. And, um, you know, and I know with changing demographics, you know, there are some, there are often there are times where I, I drive by certain areas and I never see the uh, tennis court in use. Right. And, you know, so it, it's, it's kind of looking at those demographics and trying to weigh out all that stuff. And, um, you know, for a while I, I thought that there were just, less youth around, but I think that's on the rebound. So, you know, I tend to see more and more activities in those parks now, which is fantastic. You raised some really good points. I mean, the point on the partnerships and the golf courses, well, first golf was on the decline, but then when the pandemic hit, it went the opposite direction. It skyrocketed back up and participation for golf courses. Well, that was one of the only safe things we could do. Right. Exactly. And it's, it's been steady ever since um, with revenues and other things, um, which are important in the golf world just to, um, but yeah, like Highland, the Highland National and Highland Nine Hole um, have been stellar. Those are the two city operated golf courses like Phelan and Como are still run by service partners, um, like you mentioned. Um, but yeah, golf is is definitely on the upward swing, no pun intended. Um, but also just looking at the broader partnerships, you know, people always kind of think of you have the Parks and Recreation Department, and these other youth serving agencies and that we're kind of in competition with one another. We're not like we are complementary to one another and we work in tandem. So when you talk about spaces like Artsauce or the Sauna Foundation or the Boys and Girls Clubs, like all those all those agencies run out of park buildings. Um, and are really effective partners for us in achieving the mission that we want to achieve within St. Paul, which is engaging families, young people, community, and, and providing services that align with our mission of, you know, um, accessible programs and services and making sure that people have access to that re- form of recreation that, that they want to see. Um, so they're essential to what we do. Uh, we have some great partners there. Um, when you talk about, you know, facilities like tennis courts and other things like yeah, it's a balance. Like in in your 
your mention of driving past certain park spaces and seeing, oh, that's that doesn't look like it's used or other things. Like we have a large system. We have a ton of ball fields. We have a ton of tennis courts. Um, and I think what we're starting to do now is kind of looking at where are those high use spaces, where are the mid tier, where are the underutilized and can some of them be repurposed? Like at Dayton's Bluff Rec Center, um, at the beginning of the summer, we transitioned that tennis court into a mobile skate park, which has been an awesome sight to see uh, for that community. It's been packed every day. Uh, you can check out skateboards in the rec center and go out there and try try to learn how to uh, utilize your skateboard and do all sorts of kickflips and things on equipment that I would probably fall and break my legs on. But it's um, these kids adapt to it so well. Um, but to see those things um, succeed is is super cool. Uh, when it comes to pickleball, you know, an orchard is a great example. I think just for us, we got a little ahead of the game on like, we're going to start with this location and not talk about the broader vision of what it is. Like, it's not just orchard, but we're going to look citywide of where we could find seven to 10 dedicated pickleball courts and what that looks like. Um, so I think that added to some confusion. And on behalf of my department, I think we can own some of that, like the initial messaging and things and probably didn't flow out the best way and it caused a, a little bit of strife within the community that we're still trying to navigate right now. We thought it was going to go away. And, you know, perception wise, um, you know, I, if you would ask me a couple years ago, I would have said this is a sport that is for 50 plus uh, white people. I would have said that like outright, that's what it is. But it, it's changed uh, quite a bit over the last couple of years. We're starting to see younger demographics. Um, play the sport and um, the desire to have dedicated courts throughout the city is there um, starting to offer it in our rec centers and teaching it to our young people. Like it's, it's, it's here to stay, which is interesting. I haven't played it personally, um, have many rec folks that play it and friends, but um, seems like quite the, the endeavor for people and they, they love it. It's, it's popping up a lot too in like the private industry, like tying it to restaurants and bars and other things. So it's all the rage right now. Um, but yeah, we have a, a broader citywide plan that we'll be rolling out in the in the coming weeks so people are more informed of the tentative locations that we're looking at for conversion. We won't get them all done right away, but um, we'll be looking to phase that in over the next couple of years. I'd say like for us, the rec centers were crucial. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my parents are refugees. They didn't know what to do with us. <laughs> during there were so many yeah. of us it's like what are we gonna do with them <laughs> during the summer um neighborhood house we that was our place we could walk there from our house you know my sister's first jobs were um working the front desk at neighborhood house you know we did urban That's tennis awesome. we you know it was a it was it was like a it was a lifesaver i think for for families like us who, uh, you know, were new to the country and, um, you know, school ended and, and then what, right? What do we do with all these kids all day bouncing off the wall in our tiny rental? So, um, yeah. you know, it, it, and, <laughs> and now I live across the street from a rec center and every day, it, I mean, it's the best thing, you know, when I was first looking at this house, um, a neighbor was, sta was standing there around and i had asked the neighbor this person i said what do you think of the neighborhood you know and they're like oh we really love it it just you know sometimes it gets really loud over here by the rec center but my husband and i love it we love looking out the window and seeing the little kids in their neon shirts playing soccer <laughs> or that's great you know every night every day we have there's five or six volleyball courts that people come and set up you know they have meals um we've got folks that's who awesome. come and play cricket Johnson High School would use the fields and when they were done and the the cricket players would come out like it would and they'd go until nine ten o'clock at night and it's just amazing. this amazing thing of watching all these people from all these different cultures you know the Amish folks came and set up a, a table and had this big reunion in the middle of the field you know it was just like it's 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 a great place to see all these different people come together it's a great people watching it's so much fun um, I learned, well, okay. I don't, I didn't technically learn to ice skate. There is a rink at the Phelan rec center where we live. <laughs> we, yeah. we bought ice skates from Goodwill and we tried it and <laughs> yeah, not great, but well, we're going to try it again this coming winter. We'll try, we'll try awesome. again. 
we bike, you know, we can bike to Phelan. We bike to the trails, the state trails uh, we're obsessed with. I mean, there's just a lot that there there has to offer, even in an informal sense, yeah. right? So even without the programs and stuff like that, I think a lot of people come and they do their own beanbag tournaments that they organize right. within their friends and families. Yeah. Hale, you and Jim absolutely amaze me. You you live right across from the park. You mentioned every amenity over there yeah, except for the major thing, which is failing golf course. Oh. Are you kidding me? I can't believe I'm waiting for you to mention the lake, the you know, the beach. Right, all I was about to say, stuff. like the fish and then, in the boat, and then the she boat even house, left out the, the golf course. I'm going, wait a minute, you live right there. The great and, uh, thing with the lake is we're that, able to wheel our canoe down from our house awesome. to the lake. See, oh, that's awesome. But, and the golf course, we don't golf. See, we don't here. golf. So during the winter time, what? though, people oh, snowshoe no cross country <laughs> ski. And so yeah. we bought snowshoes. No, low key. And we're going to do that this coming winter. Yes. <laughs> See, see, low key. I'm hearing you talk of describe all of these amenities and stuff like that. We used to sit around and joke about how about country club living way, way out in the suburbs <laughs> for amenities yeah. like this, knowing full well that we have that in our backyard thanks to our park system in St. Paul. I mean, I, I mean, I can walk to the water park, the zoo, all of that. My my daughter's interning at the zoo. Like like the, there's that's awesome. I, I just listening and sitting back and hearing that describe. Like you forget that. All this free 99 stuff that's sitting behind, well, not free 99, we're taxpayers, yeah, yeah. but still, like, you know, like, like that's our backyard. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, you did an awesome, gave an awesome description of Phelan and kind of what that encompasses. I always say Phelan could be the sailing capital of the city. Like, that lake is so beautiful. Um, and we actually have design money to, you know, re-envision the boathouse and what that could be in the future and kind of really look at that space and that, that space needs some love and figuring out how we can define a future plan for it. But yeah, that access and that we call it unstructured recreation, right? You can show up, walk on a trail or <laughs> you know, do a beanbag tournament, whatever it is like to, to your liking, right? That's what the park is for, for you, for community to kind of that third space for you to gather with friends and family and just have a good time. So like that's the, that meets our need and kind of what we want to accomplish as a park system. And, um, Phelan is a really good example of that. But, you know, your earlier points about the rec centers um, kind of stuck with me. It's just like we have we have young people that are there from the moment rec centers open until they close. Like that is their second home. And those staff that work within those buildings act as mentors, act as in some forms parents, you know, different forms of support um, and services that we provide every day. They wear a lot of hats and um, do a lot of amazing work in keeping young people occupied and in a positive environment. And it's invaluable what that means to community and neighborhoods and just the relationships that they build every day uh, with young people across the city. It's, it's quite astounding um, what those frontline staff um, encounter daily and the relationships that they build. So um, it's notable and it's, it's cool. You have that experience with the West side too. I've, I've heard a lot about um, neighborhood house in El Rio and how that's been impactful for a lot of people. Um, Dua Yang, who works in the Ward 4 Council Office, um, grew up on the West Side, too, and always talks about Neighborhood House and El Rio and just um, what that meant to her as a family and just kind of being there all the time. So that's cool. Yeah, and we were uh, we could walk to Baker Rec Center from our yeah. house, too, and there was a pool and there was open swim. Like, we learned how to swim. We didn't realize, like, other people didn't learn how to swim in school. And we had that that opportunity to our school was connected to the rec center so we could use that that pool and we had swimming classes so we all learned how to swim and it was you know my parents didn't know and they they have a fear of water based on you know the trauma that they experienced um and so they didn't even realize it cuz there was just like you know this is a school you're assigned to cuz you can walk to it and then there was just that extra benefit there's the extra benefit of, you know, if my parents weren't going to be home after school, we could hang out at the rec center. We could, you know, there's always going to be people there. So it's, it is, I mean, I, I say it's a lifesaver. It really is. I mean, it, it kept, kept us out of trouble. It kept us safe. I mean, you know, and those are the things that, that I hold so dear. And so that's why, like, I love living across the street from a rec center now because I love being able to see people experiencing that and my current neighbors experiencing that. 
you know, and going through all that and, and even the accommodations that are made for them. So where we're at, there's a one spot that they would always play at, the volleyballers, and the grass kind of stopped growing in that spot because they're mm. playing every day. So um, much, yeah. And instead of patching it up, like they were, they were patching up other spots in the park, they left that part. And they even put a trash can near it because, you know, Asian people, we show up with food. We show up with a lot of food. <laughs> and so they even put a trash can near that spot, you know, so that there was no more litter. And, and it's full at the end of every day, I'm telling you, too. Like that bin is full of like takeout boxes and, and food. And so it was really I was I, know, I felt like relieved, I guess, because I I. I always had this kind of fear. I was like, I don't want any like sort of official person to come and be like, you know, this is a baseball field and you're ruining it. Or, you know, there's, you know, you can't hang out here because you're, you're littering too much or something. But really, there were accommodations made for them to be more comfortable. And I was just like, that's amazing. And then since then, like more and more volleyballers show up. And then, you know, well, they were all Asian volleyballers. Then this group of white guys showed up to play volleyball and ended up playing with the Asian group and teaching each other how to play. That's so cool. And I think it's the accessibility is a big part because listening to my sisters and my siblings now try to find summer camps for their kids yep. is so expensive. Yeah. You know? And so those summer camps that you can do during through the rec center that are much more affordable, you know, it just makes more sense for, yeah. for me. And I'm not, I'm not a parent, but you know, just listening yep. to them try to find the camps for their kids and how much they spend on two weeks um, is, is really amazing. Yeah. It's wild what some of those things can cost. And, you know, as a, a parent with three young girls, I, I, I sympathize with that. <laughs> I definitely see it. Um, I, I will say for our rec center system, it's like we try and keep those fees for camps like that as low as possible. There's definitely a balance to free programming and things that free camps and offerings that um, we do throughout the summer months. And then rec check, our summer program is like a half day program that's free drop in and there's field trips and things integrated into that, um, whether it's pool visits or other, you know, field trips scattered out throughout the summer on uh, different experiences but those are um those are impactful for a lot of young people and life-changing you know like to be able to go to some like to go to a twins game with the rec check program i've never been to a twins game or a Lynx game or you know things like that um for a young person is is so cool to experience and um, say that they got to do that during the summer the summer months you know um but yeah that's just an example um you know, I think the other thing just specific to rec centers and kind of programming initiatives is like there's a, a lot of intentionality that we've been doing, too, about um, I'll, I'll call it targeted or specific um, program offerings to BIPOC communities and really just trying to focus in on um, that relevant programming or things that certain communities want to see um, using Oxford as an example, like we were approached um, by a variety of uh, families from the Hmong community about basketball and wanting to teach young people within the Hmong community the sport of basketball, but didn't necessarily feel comfortable integrating in with other communities for fear of like embarrassment or not knowing how to play at a level or caliber that they feel that they would need to be at in order to compete, you know? Um, so we created a new program that operates there every Sunday um, that is uh, tailored toward the Hmong community and teaches them the game of basketball with instructors that look like them and is just really uh, impactful. But that's been going on year two now and is super successful um, work, but that's and just another... Let me tell yeah. you, let yeah. me, on on that point, Andy, like they, some of them folks are showing up in the rec league because, man, there were some ballers this past year um, who I was like, I was like, oh, snap, okay, all right, my, my brothers and sisters yeah. coming out. And uh, and there were some young kids out there program that hit these that 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 were some some stiff competition this year. Yeah, it was dope. Yeah, that, and that's a perfect example. Um, you know, I saw them last year from when they started, which was very rough mm -hmm. towards the end of the season, competing in the tournament and like going toe to toe with like a Frogtown Community Center. I'm like, okay, we, we we've made some yeah, strides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, which is super cool. You know, this topic is bringing back memories because not all of us were gifted when we were younger to to hoop. Right. But yep. and then we didn't have, you know, back then we didn't have advocating parents 
coming to the park board to create situations that will allow us to to play. It was it was a uh, I grew up. This was during the sixties. It was dog eat dog. You you know. So what we did is we shopped around, or I did. I shopped around parks, and then I found the parks. Oh, okay, I can I can deal with these dudes, right? And then once I was was able to get in and and, and scuffle with them dudes. Then I gradually worked my way up, or then I can go back to my park and play, right? But so, it, it, <laughs> but that's how we handled it. I mean, you know, it, it it's just bringing back memories because back then we could pick up the phone on a Saturday morning and then have eighteen guys down at the baseball field, right? By nine o'clock in the morning, we're we're playing we're playing pickup baseball. I mean, you know, but that's how it was during the baby boom. Uh, there was an interesting thing because Anthony, you reminded me that you know before we moved to where we're at now, we lived in a Como neighborhood. But they, <laughs> the boys in the neighborhood, I would all they would gather and they would play stickball. Mm-hmm. So even though we were a block from Como Park, and there was a a, a small softball field there located across from where the Wolves are at. There was a small softball field. So, like, when you enter from the parkway and you're headed toward the zoo, there's a line of trees. And then right behind that line of trees was a small a small softball field. Yeah, that was, alcove that's still right there yeah. with the, by the p- little pavilion or gazebo right there. Yeah, That was literally a block and a half from our house. But for whatever reason, these boys wouldn't play. I would tell them, why don't you guys go play in that field over there, the softball field? They would play stickball in the parking lot behind Holy Holy Childhood Church. <laughs> and there was something about the geographics or, or the topography of that parking lot that just worked so well for them. And for two summers, I was trying to encourage them to go use the softball field at the park there. But they insisted on playing in the parking lot at the church. I just thought that was a little. Yeah, it's just one of those tidbits. But um, to that point, the Don that that and, and Andy, I know you can speak to this too. I, I you had talked about trying to be creative about looking at where people, you know, how, how the community moves, which I think is a is a big shift to how I remember because you know, for me, I always felt like I was at the behest of of parks and recs, and just I had to wait on whatever offerings are decided upon. That's a it's a very different feeling now um, than than when I was than, than when I was growing up um, looking at that. It does seem like there's a lot more uh, responsiveness in that regard and, and looking at creative ways to um, to kind of see what folks are doing. Can you speak to that, especially as it pertains to people of color? Because it always has felt like we were intruding upon white folks parks and the feeling yeah. is very different now. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, if, like when we were growing up, like there is. Gosh, there's probably about 40 plus rec centers and then obviously passive parks and other things, but like they were, had a very neighborhood vibe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now you have some of these larger centers and larger parks that um, serve a different purpose. So that's one part of it. But I think that intentionality, again, about um, being outward facing and not just waiting for people to show up, but like our staff going out to different places. Like we have a mobile rec program now that goes all over the city. Like they have a dedicated team that... I'm sure you've seen the rock climbing wall and other things and um, at at events, but like their whole, the whole point of their existence is to engage people in, uh, you know, in positive ways in hopes that they, you know, connect with them and then visit the rec center again in the future or participate in other programs. So that's, that's one way of outreach, but I I really think we've just changed the game on kind of how we communicate with community um, about what's available within our park system and how it's accessible. And it's that part, it's that part right there that, I mean, <clears throat> I know I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but one of the constant tensions, especially as more BIPOC folks show up and use and claim with authority the spaces. I've, I can't count how many times I've had to intervene. Uh, and I'm just talking about the area around Dunning, right? Um, I, I remember constantly having to just be around those basketball courts because you would have folks on one side of the park is us, us being BIPOC folks. And then the neighborhood also has a pretty substantial white population, 
who has like a it, it, almost where there's a culture clash, a difference of sensibility about how you should be in park space. And there was always this tension feeling like we were intruding upon somebody else's space when that's our we have every right to be there. And so I remember constantly being in these tension points where where folks are either giving that side eye or that microaggressions to the boys playing mm-hmm. basketball, um, you know, because they didn't play basketball the right way. I'll never forget um, is this kid who was sitting there uh, and he was eating a fish head. Now, for those who may not know, like the fish head that, that yeah. eating the fish head is a big, you know, so he's just eating the fish head and he, and 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 somebody came over there and told him, you shouldn't be eating that here. They're disrespecting the park. And like I had to get in there and get between uh, this person who's trying to make these kids feel like they were somehow intruding on their peace. And so all of a sudden reports of maybe just a simple altercation that happens when you're on the basketball court. I'm looking at it going, yeah, it's kids arguing, right? And you get in there and you realize there's nothing to be real scared about. But then you have people who are calling police officers, yep. right? Yep. And and um and it and some of the parks, some of the parks and rec staff help to diffuse that and be and make sure that the officers know what's happening in here and these frivolous calls just because somebody's in a space that makes you feel uncomfortable. So how has that how have has your response been to that? Um, that those some of these tensions that still are here in the in the park space, especially when BIPOC folks are making use of them. Oh, it, that, that's still prevalent, still exists in ter- certain spaces. And you know, from my perspective, it's um, I will I will use the word politely calling that out in in a respectful way uh, in those community meeting spaces and others. Like I can think of one recently where said, okay, there's a group of people call it, of people of color on the property and you're calling the police, like what exactly are they doing? What, what law are mm-hmm. they breaking? You know, like things like that. Um, but really just trying to call out the behavior. And you know what I, for, uh, I will give the St. Paul police credit for how they handle those things. Like they, um, you know, 10 years ago, I'd, I'd probably say something very different, but how they approach some of those discussions with communities is pretty powerful. Um, in, in advocating for people of color in those spaces and making sure that, you know, uh, if folks are calling for the wrong reasons, um, they let them know that. And um, I, I've, I found that to be surprising, um, honestly, and um, I've, I've really been um, surprised by their response and how they don't entertain those narratives um, in park spaces. So I think that's that's been a positive light with them, uh, at least in my interactions. Um when it's specific to parks, but yeah, that is prevalent, um, all throughout the city in different forms. Um, I remember growing up and saying, this is all the, this is the rec center that all the rich white people went to. And, you know, like the Oxford was, you know, different story, this, that, but it's like, it's so integrated these days. Um, like Linwood as an example, um, in the summit Hill neighborhood is, is a very diverse rec center. A lot of people would think differently, uh, for that space, but, um, it is, um, an example of how uh, our rec centers have evolved over time. That that is a real good point. Um, you know, the the as demographics shift and you get to see who's in there. I mean, I love going into the volleyball program and seeing the boys' volleyball happen. But then right outside, um, this is at Oxford. Um, they had the video game set up, and there was an unofficial uh, NBA two K uh, live two K um, oh, tournament sure. kind of happened in there. That yeah. um, and and seeing the the park staff interact. And kind of just make that that possible to be a space. What what has been um, what has been the 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 correlation you've seen between communities of color and um, in in the use? Is there any any data that comes out about when kids are in rec centers, particularly kids of color? What what some of the positive benefits are elsewhere? I mean, you can imagine them, but I'm assuming you have some data around that. Yeah, obviously, it's like after school is when we see the highest volume on, you know, we've talked a little bit about athletics. We are definitely seeing a trend towards more technology based um, program applications. So like we have a couple of music studios in our rec centers now um, that have been super popular. We partner with the agency called the, the Mobile Jazz Program. It's so like El Rio, as an example, or Frogtown, they have um, you know, music studio sessions certain times throughout the week. But that is a, a result of interest from our our team demographic and wanting to produce music. And you'd be amazed at some of the, the tracks that these kids are making these days. Like I remember, you know, central as an example, like, you know, people being in the basement, making beats with red and talking about yep. all that stuff and making that happen. But like kids these days, it's just like, 
it's like a snap. Like they just, they, they get it and they can drop a track and pick up on it so quick. It's, it's pretty wild. But yeah, those are spread out throughout the city. Um, there's a desire, you mentioned Oxford and some of the video games, but really to get in the world of esports and what that looks like. And I got a major education on that recently. I didn't know you could get a scholarship and go to college for esports. Um, things are popping up there and but kids um, want to participate in that. And we did our first uh, robotics league two years ago, which was great. And um, seeing that really jump off with the city championship that we had uh, earlier this year was amazing. Um, Hancock Rec Center took it home. So it, it's cool. That just brought a smile to my face because yesterday I attempted to add music to my Zoom meeting uh, with the meeting I had yesterday. <laughs> so I, I tried to, I went on Zoom and tried to do it before the meeting actually started. Uh, dialogue box came up. I clicked it. It started to do something weird. And then all of a sudden it started, my, my computer started talking to me. And I'm going, uh, you know, this thing, I had already closed Zoom and it was still talking on my computer. So I'm amazed, that, you know, it doesn't it doesn't amaze me that these kids can walk in and just do this and master this stuff while I can't get music to play through Zoom, you know, but yeah. it, it is that is so encouraging. I just had to smile at that, you know. But it it's it also makes me think that, you know. We didn't have some of those opportunities when we were growing up in our day. You know, those mm -hmm. things didn't exist. Um, so it it was physical activity or there were a few indoor games. But, you know, I think it's just fantastic that they're able to offer these different things according to the kids' different interests now. And, yeah. and uh, you know, that that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Like there's a market for recreational athletics, right? We know kids that want to excel there and, or some, you know, a young person might want to participate in the season and be done. But like, like there are other kids that might have a technology focus and want to have, you know, something under, under that wing. And, you know, uh, the mayor was asking me the other day, it's like, how can we build robotics to the level of youth athletics where we're having rec center versus rec center and really trying to make this as big as it, as it can be, you know? But that's those are the goals and, and things that we can work on. We just had a, a soapbox derby competition at Hidden Falls with all the different rec centers. So they built their own soapbox car. Um, that's so what was happening seen, over there. OK. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should have seen some of the stuff that they created. Like, I mean, the innovation man, and like the technology that they would f infuse into it. Like some of them had like Bluetooth speakers on them and lights and just like going all out. So it's um those types of things are so cool to see when young people tinker and kind of um, build those things and just the smile it puts on their face to the first time they get it on the ground and race it, just stuff like that. It's, it's super cool. One thing that, um, that I like to really advocate for is just getting kids outdoors, being active, taking advantage of the few months that we have in the state that yeah. are really, really nice. Um, I know not only the St. Paul Parks and Rec, but DNR has programs like I Can Fish, I Can Kayak, yeah. where you can learn how to do all these different things, programs that are free. So I would encourage all of our listeners to look up programs for, for your kids and things that they might be interested in. And a lot of them are free or low cost. Um, but, you know, I, for me, I just feel like it's important to, you know, get outdoors. And I have a lot of nieces and nephews who sit on their tablets all day. Right. And so yeah. it's like, sometimes it's a, it's, sometimes we force them. Like we have, like, it's like, you have to go outside now. Like you have to turn the tablet. You have to put, you know, um, the switch away, you know, and stuff like that yep. and force them to be outside and, and, and be active. And something that we are beneficial to have here that like, a lot of my siblings who live in, in mm -hmm. suburbs, you know, Roseville and, and parts of Maplewood, they don't have sidewalks and we have sidewalks and our sidewalks lead to trails and the kids can bike, you know, without having to be on the lookout constantly if there's a car coming their way. That's just something that I advocate for. And I'm just like advocating right now for like folks to yep. just be like, get outdoors and and be active. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, stpaul.gov slash parks is the, the plug I'll throw out there where you can find a lot of information on those programs or just general park information about those trails or different park spaces. Um, 
you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, um, you know, Asha's work and her initiatives around um, BIPOC-specific programming and what she's done in the regional parks. We've talked a lot about young people, but there's obviously a market for adult-based programs and family programs as well. And that's Asha Schaffner, who who um, is we've had on before on the counter stories mm-hmm. before. Just want to point out, also a graduate of Central High School, class of 02. Yo, oh yo. my gosh. And yeah. Um, yeah, I just want to point that out. <laughs> yep. The so so the mayor, the parks department lead. Uh, what's Asha's title? Um, I would call her a vi- environmental education coordinator or something yep. to that degree. Um, so all these all these folks doing amazing work in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the city in, in, in the city's office uh, are just central grads, but also um, that, you know, you see all these folks of color. One of the things I've loved about um, this conversation is we got to talk about parks. We got to talk about um, things uh, with BIPOC folks who are leading and running these these areas. Right. It's, it's another step towards having a community look like you. Right. And so yeah. instead of us just looking like the recipients of city services, you can now look at a picture that that shows that BIPOC folks are part of making these services available. So when yep. you go back and you look at all these amenities, the award for being the second second best park system in the in the country after after Washington D.C., you're looking at a whole bunch of us who have been making the major decisions to make these amenities what they are. And so that's been that's been something that that has felt good, right? Um, and it just just normalizing the fact that. We are part of what makes these things go. That's that's been a huge deal. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, the report in Minneapolis just came out around the Minneapolis police force. The Department of Justice has made had had made an issue their ruling looking at deep inequities within in that space that many of us have known and was talked about before. It's not lost on me that many of those conversations are also present in park system space spaces um, and even during the unrest. You know, the 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 partnership between police and the parks and stuff like that has been really interesting and unique. I'm just curious how some of those conversations are impacting your decisions at the parks. Yeah. You know, Minneapolis and St. Paul were, were very alike, but we're also very different. Um, Minneapolis parks, they have their own uh, police force. We do not. We have a very limited park security staff that I would liken to um, their core duties and just securing park spaces. They're not there to de-escalate incidents in the parks or I think they're there to lock doors, close gates, things like that. But um, I, I would say the core difference is our Office of Neighborhood Public Safety and Brooke Blakey and myself and you know Chief Chief Henry working in tandem with one another on some innovative approaches to rec center issues or park issues. Um, I was just talking with Brooke earlier today. It's like we're in the start of summer, so we're de- deploying some non-police related resources out to certain spots that may need more attention than others. So like when I say uh, non-police resources, like anti-violence prevention groups, youth workers, um, you know, the community ambassadors, folks like that, um, that might hang out in those spaces, try and build some relationship with uh, those that hang out in, in the park or may be there for the wrong reasons and try and get some some positivity into that space. So kind of a non-uniform capacity. Uh, so very different approach, but I would say we're very in unison with one another when things tend to uh, go a direction we don't want them to, or things are trending the wrong way. Um, you know, one I would cite is uh, what occurred back in January at Oxford when uh, a young person was shot uh, by an actual parks employee that worked at the rec center, which is probably the most horrible thing that's happened in our department's history. Um, you know, and having to close that rec center for up to a month and kind of recalibrate with the team and uh, figure out a way to navigate out of what was um, such a tragedy um, was challenging, but we learned a lot from it too, you know. And um, I think that that has been invaluable in the fact that um, we've learned how to deploy resources in different ways and kind of work better with our school counterparts and kind of uh, find effective means of communication because we're all serving the same kids, right? Uh, whether you're in school, whether you're in the rec center, whether you're at the gas station down the street, like we all have to be communicating with one another um, about our young people and, and what they're up to. So um, that is I, what I would call a, a silver lining, so to speak, on a, a horrible, horrible event. But um, all that has um, helped us prepare for this summer and the future and you know, rec centers are primarily safe spaces or sacred spaces, and we want to keep them that way. Um, same thing for the larger part of our park system. So all that to say is, like, I think we're doing some really innovative uh, work around public safety in St. Paul um, that is different than other cities. Um, 
in the metro area, maybe even in the country, uh, that is uh, impactful. And it's uh, it takes a village, like people say, but uh, I think we um, all work very well together in, in deploying those resources and communicating out. And it just might be a St. Paul thing, too. I saw y'all's faces, Don, um, as, as you started, we started mentioning these names. Brooke Blakey is the daughter of Art Blakey. Um, who uh, was the police chief for the for the uh, fairgrounds for the longest time, longtime community service person. And, and Brooke used to bring me when I was a kid on all these rec programs and take us out to to Wilder Forest and do all these other things. And so I, I just love the fact that folks who grew up in the community are making are part of the decision making and the community engagement for what happens in the city. I think some of those things are huge. Well, and well, I, you I think know. it makes a big difference still. I think it makes a big difference. I, didn't, I mean, you know, for when I heard like a BIPOC hometown boy got this position, I was like, yeah, it was like super exciting <laughs> yeah. to like, you know, it makes you feel a little bit more understood. Um, you know, the, it, it just, it, it does make a difference, I think, for for us in the community, especially being that you not only are from here, but that you've used rec centers you've used the rec centers mm-hmm. that you are now managing. You can take from that life experience and in, in how you manage and how you see the rec centers. And I think that's really important. And I think a lot of us were super excited when, when we heard that um, you were going to be the next director. Appreciate that. And I, I just wanted to share before we end that uh, <laughs> this conversation reminded me that the first summer job I had after I graduated from high school was uh I worked at uh, Phelps Park for the summer. Mm-hmm. I was a nice. park and rec aide, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean it. So I'm thinking, you know, we're we're gonna talk with Andy about parks and recs, and I'm thinking, man, what are we gonna talk about? There was so much to talk about because yeah. it's such an important part of our lives. You know, when yeah. you grow up in either in Minneapolis or St. Paul, parks and the park systems and parks and recs was such an integral part of our life growing up that um, it, and this conversation just reminded me the impact it had, not just growing up, but through your entire adult life. I do have to admit, however, that once I moved over to St. Paul, um, I could play tennis here. I could play softball. I could play touch football, but in order for me to get a good game of basketball, I had to go back to Minneapolis Park. Oh, you just went at the I right just, parts. I, nah, couldn't, bro. I just couldn't nah, find bro. no brothers. Oh, I could nah, not find. Bro. <laughs> uh, here you go. Here you go. <laughs> I um, occasionally um, my friends in Minneapolis give me some swag. I thought I had some Phelps gear in here, but I only have a Farview basketball. You know, so that's probably the rival. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> but uh. So you just need to come you over know. to Wilder on the east side because man, them brothers could ball. Yeah. You, you just you just wasn't at the right spots. You needed you needed to go deeper. <laughs> the one thing I um you all just reminded me of, and Anthony, we were talking about Brooke and kind of how you grew up with her in different forms and things. Like me growing up in St. Paul, all of us growing up in St. Paul, like having those connections uh, ties back to that public safety initiative so much too. Like we, there have been so many times where we've been trying to problem solve something with a community member or young person. And we're like, Oh, and that's so-and-so's relative, or I know them from growing up in the neighborhood over here. Like just having those ties are invaluable because it helps us, um, kind of deescalate those issues or find a point of contact that can help solve that, uh, problem that we're dealing with. It's, it's super helpful. And Brooke, as an example, she knows everybody. I, 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 oh, yeah. She, Literally knows everybody. It's quite amazing. And she'll just know uh, so. everybody. She's one of those folks in community that's auntie level status. Like, yeah, she you, she's one of them folks that can tell folks, "Hey, I'm, come here." And somebody will whatever they're doing, walk across the street and say, "Hi, Miss Brooke." Like, yep. like I, yep. she still got the energy with me. I could I could be speaking in front of a crowd of ten thousand, and she give me that come here finger. I'm gonna stop. Hold on, real quick, and I'm gonna walk my behind over. <laughs> and yep. see what I need to what I need to do or how I need to comport myself. So I, I love that. Awesome. I love that we all had such great experiences um, with rec centers, and it did. Yeah, this conversation did remind me of of how much we ended up uh, relying on it growing up, and how much it really meant meant to us. And maybe that's why you know I love living by a rec center now. 
even though some of my neighbors are like, oh, it gets too loud when the kids are playing or like hockey because there's a rink. You know, oh, the hockey kids, there's too much hockey and whatever. And it's like, it's so fun to watch them. And sometimes we guess, you know, if they're little kids or big kids <laughs> playing from our house, <laughs> well, we can see, you know. So, um, yeah, this this is a great conversation, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to talk to you all. It's good to uh, connect. Happy to come back anytime in the future. If you want to rap about anything else, let us know. Um, but yeah, thanks for uh, giving the shout out to Parks and giving us the time. Great. Thank you. I'm Hui Lee, owner of The Other Media Group, VP of Programming for Ampers and producer of Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at the Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Band of Ojibwe Indians. And Andy. Andy Rodriguez, Parks and Recreation Director for the City of St. Paul. Thanks for joining us. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. <laughs> <laughs>